Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Start investing early. Like, make mistakes when you're young, when you don't have a lot of money, because you're going to make mistakes. It's, it's a fact, okay? But if you, you know, if you, if you waste $10,000, let's say, you know, when you're young, you're going to make that money back. In the grand scheme of things in your life, $10,000 is nothing. Okay, but the experience that you're going to learn is going to serve you really well. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Today, I'm chatting with Leon Vilfen, the Chief Investment Strategist for Lahard and Financial. Hi there, Leon. Hi, good to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background and your investing career so far. How did you get to this point? I was born and raised in uh, Slovenia. That's actually where I started my, uh, my, you know, in a way, my investing career. Because uh, my first job, I, I started working in real estate investing. Yeah. Uh, my dad had a real estate investing firm. And, you know, even though at the time I saw it, you know, <laughs> the job to be incredibly boring, I do see now that the lessons that I um, learned there uh, certainly shaped my investing approach, being focused on prudence, on risk management. Like stocks, real estate investing is also dependent on the global economic cycle, interest rates, and so on. Because you use, you typically use a lot of leverage in real estate investing, that's something you have to be uh, careful of. You know, that were sort of my first steps towards the uh, investing world. Uh, later on, I... Uh, I went to do a master's degree in finance in uh, Vienna, in Austria. And at that point, I started focusing more on the financial markets, on stocks. Um, I was really intrigued about, you know, the forces that move this market. And I just saw it as a, as a big puzzle that I could solve. And I'm a, very, I'm a very stubborn person, which is, you know... In a way, it's good. In a way, it's also, you know, it can be bad. Uh, but definitely... <laughs> but it, it's good to be um, stubborn because you've got to be there. You've got so much to learn. And um, there's so many different styles of investing that it's important, I guess, to to persevere and to develop your own style of investing. Indeed. And it's impossible to cover mm. all the aspects. Yeah. It's simply impossible. But, you know, it's, it's still, you know, I want to do it. I want to I wanna continue to improve and continue to get better and continue solving the never-ending puzzle that is uh, the stock market. Lahaden Financial operates in the United States. Um, how was that uh, transition from um, university and getting into the career that you're, um, that you're pursuing now? I would consider it quite seamless. Uh, what I studied in university was mostly focused on corporate finance, mm-hmm. so the finances that you would um, run in a corporation – one thing you know that is, was translatable is um, all the work that we did on balance sheets. Mm-hmm. But the real knowledge that I gained about investing was all self-taught. It was all from books. Uh, soon afterwards, I, I think maybe like three, four months after graduation, I came upon a uh, online magazine 
which was being published by a company called Live and Invest Overseas. You know, I started writing uh, for them about uh, financial topics and so on, and sort of built a relationship uh, with the managers, uh, with the owners of the firm. And together we launched uh, La Hardon Financial, and we officially launched uh, uh, our products in November of 2018. What were some of those books that you read when you were teaching yourself about stocks and the markets? The one, stu- uh, the one uh, book that I would recommend uh, to most people, and just one investor that I would recommend people listen to, is Howard Marks. He's, he's one of the greatest investors in the world. And one of the books uh, he wrote was The Most Important Thing. And he always, he always found himself explaining to other people, well, the most important thing about investing is this and this. And mm-hmm. he realized, well, there's not one single thing. And so each, each of his chapters would start as the most important thing is, and then he would say risk management, uh, knowing what's going on in the market cycle, and so on. And I think that's a, I think that's a great uh, entry point for uh, beginning investors. Were there, were there any moments, any penny drop moments for you, reading Howard Marks, something that really hit you, that uh, changed the way that you were thinking about investing? The real penny drop moment was actually uh, from reading another book. There was a journalist who wrote a series of books where he interviewed greatest investors of our time. And he wrote about four books like that. And then his fifth book was sort of a summary of all the best interviews, the little book of Market Wizards. So the Market Wizards was the name of the whole series. Mm -hmm. And in there, what I saw is that all the great investors, they have two common characteristics. One is that they have really high logic skills, so that they're good problem solvers. And the second is that they're stubborn, extremely stubborn. And that's sort of, you know, something that I saw in myself. You know, I was always good at math. I was always good in logic competitions in school, even though my grades were not the best because I wasn't uh, paying attention to (laughs) a lot of the classes. So the idea of being stubborn. That was really what uh, turned things around for you. The combination of uh, stubbornness and logic. I see this as as two fundamental skills that every investor, every successful investor should uh, possess. Um, And then there's a third one, but I think the third one can be taught. Mm -hmm. And the third one is emotional discipline because you are your greatest enemy in investing. (laughs) And you must always ask yourself, are you making decision based on your emotions? Are you seeing the information from all the different angles or are you just picking up the information that confirms your thesis, your bias? But I think that's something that can be learned. Do you, do you really bias. think that that's something that can be learned? Because I know from personal experience and then other people that I've spoken with that uh, when your money's on the line in the market and you're watching the, the price of whatever you've invested in going up or down, you just can't help those emotions. I mean, they're, they're natural emotions that are programmed into us. But you think you can overcome that in, in some way? I think it helps if you have already have a character like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, looking from my own experience, I did, see, I did make uh, emotional decisions in investing when mm-hmm. I first started. So that's why I say, okay, it can be learned because I obviously, you know, I made a few 
mistakes in the beginning that every person I think does. Oh, it's good to hear that it's a, that you can overcome these things. <laughs> I think you know. Uh, I always tell my friends, and you know, I'm still fairly young, uh, so my friends are you know around 30 years old, mm -hmm. and I always tell them, start investing early. Mm -hmm. Like make mistakes when you're young, when you yeah. don't have a lot of money, because you're going to make mistakes. It's, it's a fact. Okay. But if you, you know, if you, if you waste $10,000, let's say, you know, when you're young, you're going to make that money back in the grand scheme of things in your life. $10,000 is nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the experience that you're going to learn is going to serve you really well. Whereas most people, they, they, uh, they make money and then they, invested you know they want to they want to see it grow or whatever and that's when they make mistake when they have a lot of money and mm -hmm. that's you know mistakes at that point are uh, much more costlier so many beginners when they approach the stock market for the first time they treat it almost like a casino and um they're not uh, and a, a casino and and the stock market can be just as risky as a casino but managing risk is an important lesson to learn can you explain the kinds of risks first timers should look out for well, first of all, you should acknowledge that risk exists. Uh, when first-timers get into the market, they, they buy a stock because they see, wow, it's going up. You know, I think it could go up even higher. But that's, that's a casino. That's gambling. You're just betting that, it's gonna, that the price is going to go higher. You're not focusing on what the company does. Or maybe you're just focusing on the, the shiny parts. You say, look, let's take, um, for an example, Apple. Okay. And you say, okay, but Apple has like an iPhone and it's a really good, great product. You know, I'm going to buy it. One of the first things you should do in terms of risk is just recognize that uh, risk exists. And then you should always, whatever investments you're considering, you should do a really thorough analysis, like really try to know everything about that company. Uh, you know, I know it's tedious work reading annual reports and so on and quarterly reports but read them because there's so much quality information in there you're going to learn about the industry you're going to see how the company responds to the challenges to the risks in the environment and you'll see you know whether or not you agree with those risks yeah definitely you know one way to manage risks is recognizing and investigating all the possible options and then looking at maybe a little bit if we step back from a company's perspective and look at uh, broader risks in the market and how they can affect your portfolio or maybe the, the sectors that you're invested in, trying to address those risks as well and maybe reducing your exposure to riskier investments or like in, um, sectors that could get hurt by you know, the macro conditions and maybe moving to safer ones or, you know, and then of course balancing between them, depending on how risky the environment uh, that you're investing in is. There's a reason why there's whole buildings of people trying to figure out what one stock or like uh, what the stock market is doing. There's a reason for that. And they're, they're typically a lot smarter than, you know, me or, um, you know, definitely retail investors. So, uh, try to take that into account. 
ShareSite is an online portfolio tracking tool that automatically records trades, dividends, ETF distributions, and gives you the reporting tools you need to help you manage your portfolio. ShareSite is pleased to extend a special offer to listeners of this podcast. Four months free on an annual premium plan. Go to ShareSite.com slash Stocks for Beginners and sign up now for a free trial before taking advantage of four free months. It'll help you save money at tax time and improve your investing decisions. That's ShareSight.com slash Stocks for Beginners. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So we were speaking before about the financial publishing industry and stockbrokers and fund managers and how they want you to trade. They want people to come into the market and um, they can make money out of your activities in the market. And they try and get you excited. How do you guard against being overly excited about uh, financial products? Well, you know, I, I said it before, you are your greatest enemy. So mm-hmm. um, you know, pay attention to your emotions. You know, in full di- disclosure, I should, say, I should say this. I work in the financial publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got into uh, this industry, I, I knew that there was a lot of dubious offers on the market but as i started working in it i really saw that you know there's just a lot of a lot of trash basically just companies and publishers and gurus whose sole purpose is to take money from you just buy their product you know and usually they'll they'll have um, a high turnover rate because people will buy it and then they'll see after a couple of months you know this 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 guy is he doesn't really have my best interest so that's something that you know we try to uh, focus not to do, and it's always you know one thing to worry about. Most of these offers will try to get you. Will use the same trick. It's basically get rich quick, but you know it's 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 impossible. This is investing, and I I really try to hammer that point with my readers and you know the offers that we send out. We focus on actual great ideas that you know can make you money whereas you know a lot of what i see is just you know it's just there to get a response from uh from to get a response from the wallet exactly (laughs) exactly it's it's a problem in general i think as an investment manager you should have your client's best interest that should be your goal like you should you're 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 a partner with your client and i think that's something that unfortunately even the, in the traditional financial industry it's you know it's just about a lot of people getting just because they want to earn money you know and you know i want to earn money as well but you know i i really you know i want to have a good night's sleep as well i don't want someone to think about me and hate me because you know i basically cheated them out of their yeah. savings yeah. So what are some of the risky investments that um, you'd be warning people to avoid? So I would uh, advise against any leverage products. You can certainly grow your investments faster. You know, you get higher profits, but there's also higher risk. What is a leverage product? What do you mean by a leverage product? Oh, so a leverage product is something that uses debt 
to leverage your initial investment. So let's say a broker will offer you, let's say you'll buy $1,000 worth of stock. And then the broker that um, you have account with will add, will lend you $1,000 to put into that stock. So, you know, that means that you can make double the profits with a with you know, thousand dollar investments, but you also take a, a double the losses. Yeah. And then there's something called margin call, where you know at a, when you your losses will be at a certain point that the broker will say, okay, your losses are becoming too large. You have to add more money to cover those losses. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we'll close that trade, and they'll mm -hmm. just close it automatically. Yeah. And you know you'll lose. You'll end up losing a lot of money. So that's one thing I would say that they should avoid. Another one is, it's a debatable topic, uh, so I'm probably going to stir some feathers here, but it's uh, cryptocurrencies. You know, I find them to be too volatile for most investors. So the, the most common line I hear is, yeah, but I don't really care about that money. You know, I'm just going to put, you know, a couple of thousand dollars to cryptocurrencies and whatever happens, happens. Like, no, that's not true. Of course you care about that money. You work hard for it. Mm, mm. You're just saying this because you know there's a chance that you lose the money and you just want to, you know, it's your ego talking, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's other, there's other leverage products as well, things like uh, CFDs and options, for example. Yeah, and, you know, CFDs, uh, it's pretty easy to, to understand. It's almost like a stock. Uh, mm -hmm. And then options, I, I think mo for most people, options are too difficult to understand. So Only to understand enough to avoid them until you really know what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. And then there's, there's one more that I want to point out uh, that I've been warning about um, for the last couple of years. It's uh, high-yield bonds. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because investors, there's, there, there used to be this idea this principle that you should invest one part of your portfolio in stocks and another part of your portfolio in bonds and usually it was 80 20 mm -hmm. and you know at the time when this idea became popular bonds were returning between five and ten percent a year and i'm talking about safe bonds like u.s government treasuries but then because we kept lowering interest rates bond yields kept falling okay and now they're at last couple of years they've been you know at zero or, you know, between zero and 2%. So, but investors, they still wanted high yield. They, they still wanted, you know, I want five or seven percent on my return. Like, I'm not going to take a product that gives me 0.5% a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so they started moving massively into high yield bonds. But what is a high yield bond? You know, like I mentioned before, high returns typically equals high risk. And high yield bonds are loans to companies that are in poor shape. The, the re because when you, when you lend money to a company, you want interest. And the good companies, the Apples, the Googles of the world, they can borrow really cheap. So the interest on their bonds is pretty low. It's very similar to government bonds. Whereas, you know, some companies which are not in good shape, they have to offer more higher return to attract people to loan them money. And, you know, those are... Uh, they're riskier, the companies. Yield, uh, they're riskier companies that, are, that you're lending the money to. Yeah. And I, a lot of people, they don't, they just see the number, they see five to 7% return and they say, okay, yeah, that's the product I want. And when you look at high yield investments in the last couple of years, they've skyrocketed and it's a danger. And, you know, I think it represents at this point, 
some systemic risk to the um, because you know a lot of these are now being bundled up together in loan backed securities. Yeah, yeah. Which is, if we remember the two thousand eight crisis, that's precisely <laughs> you know what mortgage backed securities, mortgage is a loan, and you know. The only question is right now how extensive, because it's not as extensive as in uh, 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, I think gradually, if this trend continues, it's going to pose even more systemic risks to uh, our economies. Yeah, I think the term bonds is actually a really confusing kind of concept for a lot of people because there's the bonds, the very strong treasuries and government bonds that are backed by the, the central banks of each country. They're obviously much lower risk. And then there's corporate bonds and hybrid bonds. But then, as you say, there's these kind of bonds as well, which are really just loans to companies. Yeah, and I mean, even when you're loaning to a government, sure, if you loan to an Australian government, you know, it's all good. Mm -hmm. But if you're loaning to a country like Argentina mm -hmm. or Russia, yeah. you know, they're going to, you know, you're going to get a higher yield. <laughs> but, you know, those are countries that have defaulted on their debt in the past. Yeah. And there's a reason why the returns are higher. Or sometimes, you know, the, the bonds will be issued in local currency and some countries will manipulate their currencies they will print a lot of it so you know there's high inflation so the return that you're getting is really not that impressive once you counter in the uh, yeah. high inflation so let's talk a bit about etfs because the popularity of etfs is really rising these days and people see them a as quite safe and b that they give you instant diversification when you buy an etf but you actually believe it's better to have a, a basket of well chosen stocks I think the biggest problem in ETFs is they're misunderstood product. You know, like you said, people perceive it as they give you a high degree of diversification. But if you just buy an S&P 500 ETF, you're not really diversified. Sure, you're holding a bunch of different companies, but what if the S&P 500 starts declining? What if the economy starts deteriorating? You know, what are you going to go do then? Do you have assets that are going to perform well in that environment? So, you know, at the very least, you should at least hold another ETF that is, you know, made out of uh, defensive stocks or maybe gold ETFs or something like that so that you can... Now we're talking about diversification, you know? And then, you know, another problem is that when you're buying an ETF, you know, sure, you're buying some good companies, but you're also buying the bad companies. Mm -hmm. you know? and the more ETFs that we buy, the higher the value of bad companies goes because, you know, they still, you know, they still benefit from it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, ETFs, I still think they can serve retail investors well. Like I said, if you use them properly, if you diversify a normal, you know, index, stock index ETF with something that's counter-cyclical, like a gold ETF, I still think you can, they can be useful. You know, picking stocks, uh, like we, we touched on before, it takes a lot of time. And I understand that a lot of people don't have the time to do the correct fundamental analysis of every investment that they make. But you do raise an important point that um, diversification means more than just having a diverse number of stocks, but it's also different asset classes as well that you should be looking at. Right. So uh, one asset class, you know, um, I always have a sweet spot in my heart for real estate. <laughs> and I think you should be... I think something like a 50-50 um, allocation between real estate and uh, stock investing is uh, 
is a good it's a good idea. So direct real estate investment? Yes. Not through uh, real estate investment trusts. Like owning a property that's yours, brick and mortar. It's smart. You know, there's, there are benefits where, you know, stock investing makes more sense than real estate investing. You know, it's more... Uh, it's easier to, you know, you don't need as much capital. It's more liquid. So if you need money fast, you can just, you know, sell your stocks. Uh, you can move them around. Like you can live anywhere in the world and, you know, there's no maintenance. Uh, whereas with real estate, you have to maintain it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, real estate does have its benefits. Uh, you know, obviously it's uh, less volatile. Prices fluctuate less because there's not that much buying and selling as it is in stocks. It's also you're owning a real asset, like you can see it. So for some people, it gives them a peace of mind. Although I think, you know, if you buy a stock in a developed economy, you know, you, you're still owning a company. There's yeah. there's no way somebody's just going to steal that from you, you know, yeah. even if it's just a piece of paper. And then the final thing is hyperinflation, which is problematic in some parts of the world more than others. If there's hyperinflation the stock market will, re- will react negatively to it because it indicates economic conditions are deteriorating. Yep. Whereas with real estate, like something that we saw in Argentin- Argentina, as soon as, as, soon as uh, hyperinflation started, they just switched uh, all the um, real estate prices to US dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, you know, you're, you're still owning brick and mortar, like the yep. value of that house. Sure, it might fluctuate, but, you know, it's it's still a house. It's still a it's still a shop in a good part of town, you know, so there's just um, it retains value better. Yeah. And, and the sense. value is not showing up on a screen going up and down every day in front of you. <laughs> so that's another benefit. You yeah. know, it's it's a lot it's a lot harder to make emotional decisions mm-hmm. with real estate investing just because it takes, you know, you might think, ah, oh, I need to sell this, you know, apartment right now, but you know, you can't, you yeah. still have to find a buyer. You have to prepare all the paperwork. So it's definitely, uh, it can help with, and, you know, I'll say one more thing. Yeah, um, please. For a lot of people, it's easier to understand because you look at a house, you look at its micro location, uh, its location of the neighborhood, and you can, you know, and they quote you a price, and you can, most people can tell whether that price is expensive or it's cheap, and you know, in that, you know, they can they can walk in, they can see the materials. You know, it it's it's a lot easier to comprehend than stocks, on the other hand, where you have to study the balance sheets, uh, you have to know. Uh, you have to know a lot about psychology. Uh, you know, you have to study who's running the company. There's so much stuff. So in that sense, mm-hmm. you know, it's also real estate is a winner. Uh, but like I said, I'm. I think a fifty-fifty um, is is a good uh, allocation. So tell us about Lahaden Financial and what you do with Lahaden. Uh, like I said, we're a financial publishing company. Uh, we post regularly. We uh, I write essays um, about what's going on in the stock market. Uh, obviously, what are some of the risks? Occasionally, I'll also write about basic investing principles. Um, if you know, because not not every one of my readers is um, is that knowledgeable about the stock market. Yeah. Um, I talk about specific investment opportunities that I see out there. Uh, you know, one that I wrote about recently was green energy. And, you know, I talk about how politics are going to drive green energy investments higher in the future. 
And then we have we also have a paid service where I uh, recommend stocks, specific mm-hmm. investments, and I'll, you know I'll just make a really big analysis of uh, one company and why I should buy it, why is this is a good price. And then there's also a portfolio um, that comes with the you know, with that newsletter that I manage, mm-hmm. and it's 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 very conservative uh, because it's it we call it true retirement wealth. And sort of made for people that are looking to preserve their wealth for their retirement. Leon, thank you very much for joining me on Stocks for Beginners. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production out of Garlic Breath Studio. Music flows when the money don't. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.